So Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. It reads, One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way, and that he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. He said to the one man in the wrong, Why did you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge of us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard about it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled uh, the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherd and even threw water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the, the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses uh, his daughter, Zephora. She gave birth to a son. He called his name Gershon. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. It is important for... Christians not only to respond to suffering that is before us, but to do so in a way that honors God. When we see something wrong, the responsibility is not just to, uh, to respond to it, but to do it in a way that we would not be ashamed to stand before God. A lot of times, when we, when we act in a way that we would not be ashamed to stand before God, we are not ashamed to stand before men as well. Imagine, for instance, you found a person who has fallen on the ground, they have a broken back, they're crying out. We have a duty as a believer to do something, to be motivated by the right reasons for doing so, and to make sure that you do it well. For instance, if someone has fallen to the ground, we are told to 
ask for help. Make sure you don't move them in case something is broken. About by perhaps moving them, you might uh, interfere with the spine or whatever uh, the person might be uh, injured. To keep them conscious. So we are obligated to do something. But for Christians, we are obligated to do that in a way that honors God. In a way that even those who are spectators, who are looking at what you are doing, would look at that act and they would be directed towards God in doing so. I think that's what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 31 says, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I think that's what uh, Matthew meant when he calls Christians to be light and salt in the world. But in the way that they live, they point others to God. In the way that you relate to fellow human beings, especially as you see those who are struggling, you relate to them with compassion in order to show them the ultimate compassion that grace and love and compassion are found in Christ. To the very least, we are called to live, to, 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 to respond to that specific situation in a way that does not in a negative way, that in a, in a negative way, affect the image of God. That in your behavior as a Christian, that people don't wonder, is this person a believer? This morning, we are going to look at Exodus chapter 2, and we are going to see a human being who sees a, an unjust situation in front of him. And we are going to see a, a man who is a sinner, like you and I, who responds in a way that is quite shameful, in anger, and he learns from that. And the story progresses, and he, and, he, and he sees another situation, and he responds in a way that he can stand honorably before man and before God. In this passage, we are looking at Moses. Uh, the, the Jewish writers estimate that Moses was about 40 years old at this point. He was of Jewish heritage, as we saw last week, that he had grown up in, uh, in privilege, but he was in fact a son of a Hebrew woman who had decided that instead of having him killed and thrown into the river now, that she, she would make for him a basket and put it on the river bank, by the reeds, on, by the river, hope, hoping that someone would find him. And Moses was indeed found by the providence of God we saw last week. That he grew up in, uh, as Pharaoh's grandchild, he was one of the few that survived. He was among the, uh, what you would call this, this day, the lucky ones. 
or more scripturally, the blessed ones, the chosen ones of God, that through his providence his life had been spared. But what we see as we get to, chapter, to, to, to verse 11, that he is aware of his Jewish heritage. And he associates himself with those that are suffering in Egypt and not to those that have positions of privilege. We notice that he sees the burdens of his people and he is concerned by them. Verse 11, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked out on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew one of his people in case you don't understand what uh, the author meant that by, by saying he went out to his people he saw one of his uh, one of the fellow Hebrews being beaten up and he was concerned he was burdened by it it was though he, uh, he himself was going through what those people were going through. Their struggle became his struggle. Their suffering became his. And what you see in verses 11 to 15 is that he responds first in anger towards the suffering of his people. That the first reaction, the first response is anger towards the suffering of his people. As we will see, as we look into the text, this is sinful anger. This is the anger that causes one to sin. Verses 11 again, Moses had grown up, he looks on his people and he sees their burdens, he sees one of, his, of the Hebrew people being abused by an Egyptian. Verse 12, what does he do when he says, when he witnesses an abuse? Verse 12, he looks this way and that, seeing no one. He strikes down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. His initial response in anger, perhaps, is to take matters to his own hands is to fight this fight on behalf of these people with his own strength is to uh, resort to uh, deception if need be imagine uh, him he sees this, pe this person being beaten up the first thing he does in verse 12 is to check to see if no one is looking because what he's about to do, he is ashamed even before he does it, isn't it? He looks to the left, he looks to the right, he strikes down the Egyptian. That is, he kills them. Then after he has killed them, he has another opportunity. He can do the right thing um, in this situation. So, uh, this, this, the first time he could have done the right thing is that when you know, he could have stopped when he was looking left or right. Because if he feels that he's doing the right thing by, by this, he would not have looked left or right. 
would not have cared who witnesses, who witnessed the act or not, because he was doing the right thing. Second, secondly, he kills an Egyptian. He strikes them down. Kills them. Now he has another opportunity. He can report what he had done, but because he is committed to this act of anger, he has committed to this, he decides no, he is not going to hand himself over to be dealt with justly, but he is going to hide his crime. So what does he do in verses 12 to the end there? He takes the Egyptian. He hides him in the sand. One would think that the situation is done now. Everything has been sorted. He has seen injustice. He has reacted. He has uh, has felt shame when he was doing this. But then no one knows. He was doing the right thing. The intentions were good. Perhaps he would tell himself after this act. But just as with every sin, whether it be sexual immorality or greed, it impacts our witness. It is a big impact on our witness. So now, Moses now seeing himself as this advocate of good. As this uh, spokesperson, defender of the weak, of the weak, lover of his people, he goes. He, he goes on, verse thirteen. The next day, he sees two Hebrews now fighting together. Uh, the first time, it was a Hebrew being beaten up by an Egyptian. It was the, uh, the, the oppressor beating the oppressed, as it were. It was clear who was right and who was wrong. But now he sees two people, both oppressed. And he says to the one that he considers to be on the wrong, Why have you struck your, why did you strike your companion? question is loaded, isn't it? Because we saw in verse 12, in verses uh, 11 that it, it, the Hebrews get struck by Egyptians all the time. But, but then the question is, why would a fellow Hebrew strike another Hebrew person? The response of the Hebrew here shows the consequences of sin. The consequence of what Moses had done the day before. He turns to him in verse 14. He says, who made you prince or judge of us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? In other words, they saw what he did. They are aware that he had killed an Egyptian the day before and hid him in the sand. And Moses himself became concerned, verses 14. He became afraid and thought to himself, surely the thing is known. 
Notice here that he's not even willing. He's still hiding it. He's not even willing to call it for what it is in his thoughts. Because it's the thing. Surely that which I did is now known. What has to happen? Now he has to flee from Egypt. He has to run away and escape being killed by, um, by Pharaoh. Because when Pharaoh hears about this, he is going to demand that justice is administered. Because even though Moses may have grown up in uh, Pharaoh's house, he was a Hebrew after all. And he had killed an, a, an Egyptian. He had turned against his own people. His own, that is, he had grown up in Egypt and in, uh, in Egyptian nobility. But he was doing what, ex- what, what the pharaohs were afraid of. Remember at the beginning in chapter 1? The fear that caused these people to, uh, to enslave the Hebrews? Is that if war breaks out, they would turn against them, against them and side with their enemies. But now, the Hebrews and the Egyptians are enemies of each other. And one who had grown up in the Egyptian family, just as the Hebrews had grown up in Egypt, had turned against his own people. He was playing into the fear that between an Egyptian and a foreigner, the Hebrew would choose the foreigner. Moses had done, therefore had fulfilled that prophecy. He had chosen the Hebrew. He had sided with the oppressed. And what, how, how is he to be um, treated because of that? He is to be responded to in a similar way that the Hebrews were called to be, respond, to be responded to. To be killed. Verse 15. When Pharaoh heard about this, he sought to kill Moses. In a way, he sought to, uh, to reverse the, uh, what had happened when he was a child, when his life was spared. But Moses fled from Pharaoh, verses 15, and went into the land of Midian. In this passage, you see someone who, is, who sees what is unjust. He is moved, yes, by what he, is, what he sees in front of him. But the way that he responds has an impact on his standing in community. He responds in such a way that he, is, he himself is ashamed of what he has done. He was ashamed of what he was going to do before he even did it. Hence, he looked left and to the right. We need an opportunity to be a uh, good witness for good. 
because of the act that he had done, because he had acted in anger, in sinful rage. Even fellow Hebrews would not listen to him. Even those at whom he sought to, uh, to save, to care for, would not listen to him. And what we're seeing here is that because you know the story of Moses, um, and you know that he's going to go on to become any, a, 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 a key um, player in the salvation of God's people. But I think the accounting of this story here is meant to show us that he was still a human being, he was still sinful. He was an instrument in God's hand. The instrument itself was not noble or better than, than anyone else. But it was God who saved. It was God who was going to save, to save through Moses. This is to help you then to see, uh, to, 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 to make us to think soberly, even about Moses himself. In addition to helping us learn from his mistake. Moses seems to have learned from his mistake because his response to the suffering of others in verses 16 to 22 is much more encouraging, isn't it? Verses 16 to 22, we see him uh, respond courageously to suffering. We see him uh, not do some of what he did in Egypt as, as he is now in media in foreign land. Verses 16. Now, the priest of, of, of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. We see Moses here faced with a second opportunity to respond to suffering. The question is that we are supposed to have in our heads uh, is... Has he learned from the mistake that he committed earlier? Has he grown from it? We are introduced to this man or priest who has seven daughters. While the girls were turning to their father's frog, a group of shepherds came and bullied them away from the well. The livestock is going to Start, it's going to struggle. The family is going to struggle if that happens. And Moses, we see here in verses 17. But Moses stood up to them. He saved them, that is the daughters, and watered their flock. This time, Moses stands up to them. This time, he did not sneakily kill one of them, but he bravely stood up to them. Because of his brave defense, he is invited to become part of their family and ends up marrying one of the, uh, one of the father's daughters. 
We don't see here. What you don't see here is the deceit of verses 11 and 12. What you don't see here is the impact of that deceit as those who are looking at what he had done. Think about the Hebrew in, in verses 12 and 13. Who looks at what Moses had done and he, and he does not want to listen to Moses. Does not want Moses to mediate in the fights that they were having among each other between him and a fellow Hebrew. But look at the impact of Moses' defense here of these people, of these um, daughters. They come home early. And the father asked, why are you here early? He said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of shepherds and even threw water for us and watered the flock. We were saved, we were delivered by an Egyptian. Probably think he's an Egyptian, probably because he is wearing Egyptian clothes. Comes from Egypt and having grown up there as well. But you see, a contrasting response here. One is the reputation is damaged because of this response and anger. No one wants to listen to him. One is a good witness. People are um, glad that he was there. Are glad that he had saved them. And he is invited into this house and he becomes part of the family. In the first part, you see someone who is driven away from the family that he had known. You see relationships destroyed. In the second part, you see someone who is brought in, who was invited to eat and drink, and indeed form part of the family, who is invited into this family and becomes part of them. Who begins to build his own family as well. In the first part, you see a bad example, bad model because of the, of the impact that it, that it has. In the second part, we see a good example where courage builds, does not destroy. Where courage makes one to be invited to become part of the family and not pushed out of the family. In the second part, we see a compassionate response that builds relationships. You see a response that does not affect Moses' standing in community. And I, and I think it would be um, it's important at this point to notice the similarities and the differences between Moses' story and the story of Jesus. On the one hand, the author, the author wants us to see this. I'm not sure if you've been noticing in the last 
um, three weeks that we've been looking at the book of Exodus. The similarities between Jesus and Moses begin at birth. They are both born in the midst of kids being slain at, uh, while they were still young. And they are spared. One, because one is born in the manger that is Christ and Moses. Because he is born and he is saved by being uh, put into the river, into the river bank and taken in by Pharaoh's daughter. It continues with him fleeing death threats at ruling power because of ruling power. When Moses arrived in Midian, he drives off shepherds that were keeping people away from water. And it sounds, it sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? In his interactions with religious uh, rulers or Pharisees, those who were, pu- those who were uh, pulling people away from him, we will see later on with Moses, a man who hears God's voice in the burning bush next week, and he begins his role as a deliverer and leader of his people. With Christ, we see this when he was being baptized by John and a voice comes out and says, you are my son, whom I love. And then later on, we'll see Moses returning to Egypt on a donkey. And Christ himself enters Jerusalem on a donkey just before he is killed. So Moses is sort of a, uh, a figure, a figure like Christ. Moses is used as an instrument of delivery from slavery. While Christ will be used at this point, will be used to deliver people from sin. Moses here is presented as an imperfect instrument who seeks to save people by his own strength at first. But Christ is presented to us as a perfect sacrifice of God, as a perfect lamb of God who does not save by his own strength, but trusts in God completely. See, one who uh, does not seek to run away to save his life, does not take a life to save a life, but rather gives his life for the salvation of others. This passage teaches us a lot about God but how, as well, we are called to stand before um, the marginalized, those who are suffering. First of all, we are called to stand up, to speak up, to, uh, to defend, to be there for the suffering, the marginalized. We are called to uh, not... Uh, uh, sit by in our own privilege but rather to become advocates of those who uh, have less than we do those 
whom the community of the, or, or, or the world has turned against, whether they be abused women or children or the homeless people, the foreigners, etc. But we are called to do this, to do it in a way that does not affect our witness about God. That does not make us to stand in shame before God and before man. We are called to do this, not in a, uh, in a, in a manner that, that is sinful, like Moses who looks left and right. We are called to do this courageously, to lay down our lives, if needs be, for what is right. We are called to value our lives less than others, to be willing to suffer for the weak, to, to humble ourselves, that others may know Christ. That is what we are called to here. And this passage also calls us to put our trust in the perfect Savior, the one who does not act in anger, but acts deliberately to save, one who is not um, uh, sinful, but is perfect in every way, but dies as though he was sinful. That you and I who are sinners could be accepted into God's family. That you could sit and dine with him and become part of his family. We are called to trust in him. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, indeed we praise you for Christ. We praise you for Christ who is not like Moses. One who died at the cross for us. That we who are sinners, who are prideful, who are prone to act to that thinking, who are prone to put your reputation at risk with our actions, could be invited into your family, not because of what you have done, but because of what Christ has done. Help us, Lord, to follow the example of Christ, to put the lives of others before our own, I pray that you would help us, Lord, with this. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen.